All right, rolling into hour two on the big show. Kevin Calabro today at 11.30. John Feinstein at 12.30. That'll be an hour three, if my math is correct. We're uh, happy to welcome in for his weekly appearance right now from uh, from his fortified family compound somewhere out east of the city. It's Curtis Crabtree. Curtis, how are you, pal? Good, Gas. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Have you personally called Colin Kaepernick to ask him what his plans are moving forward so we can really get to the bottom of this whole thing? You know, I don't have that ability at this point in time, so no, I have not. I have not spoken to Colin to figure out what, <laughs> uh, what his plans are going forward. This, this story makes sense to me if, it's, uh, if, if we're to take what Rappaport reported as, as, as true, and, I, and I, I personally am going to, which is if, if the Hawks are kicking the tie, if any team, for that matter, is thinking about Colin Kaepernick, I think you'd want to say, look, we're bringing you in to be a backup. Who knows what will happen? But we kind of want to know what your, your social stance is or your stand on social issues is going to be so we can either prepare for it or assess whether it's worthwhile. This seems like a pretty reasonable thing that the teams would be doing. Well, I mean, obviously they're going to kick all the tires that they can and try to figure out you know, every variable that they have in place with the players that they're going to look at. But, um, you know, exactly how it plays out with Colin Kaepernick here, you know, I'm uncertain about it at the the current point in time. Obviously, from a football perspective, he would make some sense to come in and serve as a backup to Russell Wilson. Um, And obviously, Seattle has had their share of people protesting in different ways, uh, you know, the last season and change. So, you know, it certainly wouldn't be anything new to them, but you know, ideally, the person you're going to have in that role is never going to set up foot on a uh, on the field on a Sunday this season. And you know, at that point, maybe they—I I don't know—the calculus of the decision-making process that would go into it at this point in time. It's—it's it's tough to say, but certainly they—they they need to know everything possible that they can about the people they're looking to sign. And, and it's a great way of putting it there about how much has to go into it. And, and I'm wondering, too, you know, again, I said last week, in my mind, I asked Puck, who's the most important person in the organization. He said Paul Allen. I said, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. But after that, it's, it's Russell, and I think you have to run everything through the Russell-Wilson filter. How will this affect him? We've already seen that Wilson's camp was, uh, I don't want to say worried, but was willing to reach out and say, hey, what's going on with you guys and Josh Allen? I'm wondering if you bring in a high-profile backup, a guy who has taken a team to a Super Bowl, a guy who has had some success, a guy who came a tipped pass away from winning the NFC Championship on your field, if that doesn't also make Russell kind of raise his eyebrows a bit. I mean, that that's part of what you have to put into what you call the calculus of all this, correct? I, I guess, but get over it. Like, if mm-hmm. you're the starting quarterback and you've taken a team to two Super Bowls, what do you have to worry about? Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, like... Haven't you proven enough over the first six seasons that you've been in the NFL that it's your job? Like, for for them, for their camp to theoretically get as ruffled about potential quarterbacks the team is scouting, you know, Josh Allen's a little bit different because he'd come in as a rookie and and be there, you know, potentially as a long-term replacement to Russell Wilson, hypothetically. Finding a backup quarterback like Colin Kaepernick would be a different situation. But in the end, like, this is part of what their job is, is to evaluate the pl- players and prospects that are coming into the league. And, you know, I don't think Tom Brady ever threw a fit for the other quarterbacks that they've drafted throughout the years. I don't think, um, you know, Peyton Manning ever batted an eye when they had Jim Sorgi or any of the other quarterbacks they had backing him up in Indianapolis. Like, 
if you're truly one of those guys, and Russell says that he strives to be, I don't know why he'd concern himself with it personally. But, you know, whether how, how much he is or how much his camp is, it's tough to say. But in in the end, like, that shouldn't be a concern for, for potentially when it comes, specifically when it comes to Kaepernick and the idea of a backup. That shouldn't even be on his radar. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to me, from a football perspective, if I'm the Hawks, I would go away from Kaepernick. Reason being, if you're really, and this is just my opinion, Curtis, and you can you can volley in if you agree or not, or you can say, well, guess that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, if I'm looking for what's best for this team, I'm thinking either draft a quarterback or bring in a young quarterback with the idea that at the very minimum you're getting two more years out of Russell. If everything goes off the rails, which I don't think it will, I think they'll re-sign him, I think they'll keep him, I think he's the long-term fit here. I, I don't know how much of a long-term fit you'd see Kaepernick as a backup versus, say, a young guy who could come in and spend a few years under Wilson, and then if things do go off the rails, you've got a guy who you've worked into your system. That seems like a better way to go backup quarterback-wise to me. What do you think? Well, you know, maybe ideally so, but as we've seen throughout John Schneider's tenure here, that Russell Wilson's the only quarterback that they've drafted. You know, we <laughs> right. thought he was going to go, you know, go about the Green Bay kind of way of making sure that they had a – a quarterback drafted every year to kind of come in and compete. And I don't think they have mainly because, you know, Russell has been as good as he has, but also because quarterbacks get overdrafted because teams are looking for them. So yeah, they might've taken a quarterback around later than teams took guys throughout the years, but they never brought in somebody outside of, you know, Trevon Boykin's probably the closest thing to a draft pick backup sort of guy that they've brought in throughout the years. And obviously he's had his own share of issues. So, you know, ideally that might make sense for sure, but uh, again, you know, and also it depends on kind of where where the team's going to be at this year. Is it worth it to expend some some change on a on a backup quarterback that's going to cost you know half a million million more than than a, a rookie or a, you know a first year second year sort of backup option could be um, when the team might not be peaking out the way that. Uh, you know, uh, kind of hitting a zenith sort of potential that, that, given the moves that they've made this offseason, that's another part of the conversation to bring into it as well. But again, there's a lot of variables with a discussion like this, and I don't know exactly how this one's going to shake out. It's funny you mentioned Wilson's the only quarterback they've ever drafted, and they took so much heat for drafting him. And I was sitting next to Hugh when the draft happened, and Hugh went berserk, and everybody kind of kind of gets on Hugh for, oh, you have Russell. Well, a lot of people thought the Russell Wilson pick was a big reach. And then the next step of that was, even if it wasn't a big reach, I was in the camp of people who were ridiculing the idea that this guy's not going to come in here and start. They didn't pay Matt Flynn all that money to bring him in and not have him start. So we were all kind of wrong about that. It's funny, and and it shows you how we're all circling and analyzing this stuff from time to time. And sometimes maybe they have a plan you don't realize, or sometimes a plan just falls into their lap because I don't care how much scouting they had done. There's no way they thought Russell Wilson was going to be what he became. I mean, right away. They just they couldn't have envisioned it working that well, could they? Well, no, because they would have taken him in the first round. There you go. That's a good like, answer. Like, <laughs> like if, if they thought Russell Wilson was going to be this, then yeah, they would have taken him in the first round. They wouldn't have let him get to the third round and let teams get two chances to to volley at him or anything like that. So no, they didn't know that. They 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 were encouraged. You know, they obviously scouted him. John Schneider was high on him and convinced Pete Carroll that this was a guy that they needed to bring in and all of that, but. You know, if they would have used the picks that they used on Bruce Irvin or Bobby Wagner instead to try to get him if they thought, you know, thought 
thought that that was the case because the quarterback is such an important position. So, um, I know they did. They didn't know that he was going to quite be this, though. They certainly had high hopes that he could be something, something that could help them for sure. Curtis uh, Crabtree is our guest on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline, our reporter who uh, who uh, does a phenomenal job of covering everything, including uh, uh, yesterday the arrival of Todd Liewicki back to Seattle. He leaves the NFL. He comes back to Seattle. He's going to be the president and and CEO of the new hockey team. You and I talked briefly right after that yesterday. Your, your thoughts, you've had 24 hours to think about it on on Liwicki's return, and would there ever be a president that could get hired for a new team that would get the kind of reaction that he got yesterday afternoon? No, I don't think so. And you know, partly because you know this is a market that doesn't have a whole lot of hockey, uh, hockey background, so it's not like they could go out and hire some some longtime NHL executive, and and most of the you know sports base here would know any different. You know, um, so I think in that regard, hiring a Todd Liewicki to be the face of the team, a guy who obviously was responsible for the hiring of Pete Carroll and you know in part John Schneider over with the Seahawks that got them back on track after after you know Mike Holmgren's era came to a close there in 2008 and, and the the disappointing season with Jim Moore in 2009 got that back going in the right direction. He's certainly a guy that the, the market's going to know and understand and. You know, given his success and you know, the, the fact that he was potentially a you know successor for Roger Goodell with the NFL for the last couple of years, if the ownership there had elected to go a different direction after you know some of the road bumps that Goodell's gone through over recent seasons, um, you know Todd, Todd's obviously got a great background with this particular market as well. He spent seven or eight years here. I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head during his time with Seattle. Obviously, he has a pretty strong connection here and. Given his brother's involvement in, in renovating the, the building and and all of that, um, it, it's the most logical fit you could potentially come up with for that position. I think if if things had unfolded differently, and if for whatever reason a year ago or two years ago Roger Goodell had stepped away and Todd had become the commissioner of the NFL, which would be a reasonable jump for the number two guy to make. I think he still would have done this. I think this situation presented itself to him and was too perfect. And you might laugh and say, why would he walk away from a job that was going to pay him the kind of money he'd make as NFL commissioner? Uh, I, Todd's like anybody. I think he's motivated to a certain extent by what his paycheck is. But I, I, I believe the way he viewed this market, the way he viewed, you know, he had talked to me years ago when he left about, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to work it out so we come back here at the end. I mean, this is where he wanted to spend his time this is the one city where he connected so it would have been interesting if he had been commissioner to see if if that would have played out <laughs> yeah that would have that would have been a probably more difficult seat to kind of leave <laughs> yeah, yeah in the end because of everything that goes into it and the fact that he would have you know hypothetically in this scenario would have been on the job only a year or two and i don't think we've ever seen that with a commissioner of, of the nfl that's just there so quickly you know obviously you know pete roselle and paul tagliabue had pretty lengthy 10 years and Roger Goodell has obviously been there for better part of a decade now as well. So that would be a little bit different for sure. But obviously with Todd specifically, um, it's pretty clear that he wanted to get back to Seattle in some form or fashion. And this presented just about the perfect opportunity for him to do so, given his background in hockey, his brother's involvement in the project altogether, and the position there for them to help build those things from the ground up. Hey, let me hopscotch back to the uh, back to the Hawks before we let you go. Dante Johnson signed yesterday from the uh, from the Niners. It's almost like the, the Hawks traded Richard Sherman for Dante Johnson. That may be how people look at it. It's a little unfair to Johnson. He's he's you know he's not necessarily come to fill Sherman's 
shoes, which is going to be an impossible task anyway. But how, how do we assess that? Here's a guy who has started a little bit in the league. Uh, here's a guy who is in your division. They know a little bit about him. How big a deal is this signing? Well, they also saved about $10 million in the wash there, too, by uh, releasing Sherman. So that's part of the equation as well. It's not a one-for-one with Sherman to Johnson, per se, either. But, um, you know, he is a guy that has some starting experience, can come in and, you know, give them a veteran option to compete for a job when it comes down to it. Um, if need be, uh, they'll have DeAndre Elliott coming back from the you know the knee injury he had last year in the preseason, and, and they're still high on him to compete for a job. Mike Tyson will be in his second season um, as well. Nico Thorpe will be back as you know at, least, at the very least a special teams guy to compete alongside Shaquille Griffin, and then whatever they do in the draft too. Not to mention the fact that Byron Maxwell still sits out there on the market as well, and they've had conversations with him exactly how this potential signing could affect bringing Maxwell back. I'm uncertain. I don't think it would hinder it, but um, it depends on the offers that he has out there as well. I, I think for the most part he's just a, a, a your run-of-the-mill sort of veteran option at this point in time. Obviously he did start all 16 games last year for, for San Francisco, so he does have some starting experience should they need to call upon it. Um, you know, you know that Shaquille Griffin and Justin Coleman are going to be two of your cornerbacks, um, given, you know, the fact Coleman signed his second round tender as well. But they are going to be searching for somebody on that other side, and whether that's a starter option through the draft, bringing Byron Maxwell back, having DeAndre Elliott come back and take over the reins. Uh, it's a little too early to say at this point, but uh, obviously it gives them another option there should they should they need it, uh, and, and so, somebody who's played a, a significant amount of games in the NFL. Curtis, uh, great chatting with you as always. We'll talk next week. Puck will be back so he can handle the heavy lifting of this part of the show next week. Oh, goody. Puck's back. (laughs) Hey, let's flag that. Let's keep that forever and ever. Curtis Crabtree with us each and every uh, Thursday at 11 a.m. And we talk Seahawks. We sometimes talk Mariners with him. He's a terrific reporter, and we're lucky to have him working for us and doing the work that he does. Kevin Calabro, who is the voice of the playoff-bound Portland Trailblazers. I'm not sure how much Trailblazers basketball you watch. I got to be honest. I, I find it oddly, well, I shouldn't say oddly, I find it comforting to have Calabro's voice booming through my house. I love it when they play like late afternoon, like East Coast games. And I've got it cranked up and just, just, I blast it through the heads. It's just, it's interesting to have that voice. It's a warm blanket. A warm blanket is exactly right. Uh, I think the, the Blazers are a very interesting team. And I want to I want to ask Kevin a few things about what they might be able to do in this postseason because they've got a lot of good young talent on that club and they finished with a nice win last night. We'll talk to KC as we continue with Puck and Gas without Puck on Sports Radio.